Hey, we're going to find a lawn dirt set. Amazon. We're going to find the great paper bed sheets. Amazon. We're going to find the Chicago Cubs signed baseball and bat set. Amazon. Go to d2rpn.com and click the Amazon banner. I'm gloving it. Tested and approved Doomsday Bunker. Here is Ryan the Area Man. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. They asked if I wanted a drink before I came on, and I asked for a pint, but they gave me water. So. so Following the other speakers, I have a change of pace, a little bit of a fun talk, and what I'm going to try and do is convince you you're a simulation and that physics can prove it. Okay. <laughs> so instead of a usual uplifting talk, this is a different kind of talk. Okay. So there's one thing you know for certain, that is that you exist as a flesh and blood human being. My goal is to convince you otherwise. Okay. So logic is not going to be enough you guys are going to be simulation deniers. Right? I mean, there's just no way around it. So my actual goal will be to actually create a sliver of doubt in your minds so that you actually think about this and what it might mean. Okay? So here's the first check about simulations. How many of you have ever played a computer game? Just raise your hands. Ah, all right. So did you do it against simulated player or simulated players? Or, in fact, was it you, several people plus simulated people? Right? And what role did you take? Was it a pawn or a hero? And what role do you have in life? Is it pawn or hero? Right? Are you the king, for example? Uh, I, I don't see him here, but. <laughs> um, you know, now the other thing you might ask, if you were a social scientist or other kind of scientist, like a cosmologist, would you like to run realistic simulations to test and develop your theories? Likewise for political candidates, right? So there, I'm just trying to see there's motivation for it. And then the question is, are computation and simulation capabilities increasing over time? So think of, they had to think about Moore's law. Think about what computer you had when you were young and what you have when you're now. Not that you're all not all young still. Okay, that's just setting you up for, for having that out. Okay, so we'll take a little journey into philosophy. Solipsism is the idea that one's own mind is the only thing that's sure to exist. It turns out, People have been studying this for decades and realize it's both irrefutable and indefensible at the same time, to have this point of view, and that it's not a falsifiable hypothesis. There are people who work on this issue. So there doesn't seem to be any imaginable disproof that you can have 
So even if you have a sulpice and he dies, you can't falsify his belief because he's not there to do it. So this is a pragmatic dead end. It's kind of like what we have on TV now, which is, you know, you know, zombie philosophy. But there is an opposite, that is philosophical zombies. There's a slight use to philosophical zombies. So what is the idea here? The philosophical zombie is a hypothetical being that's indistinguishable from a normal human being, that is, everybody you think you are, you know what you think you are, except that it lacks conscious experience, qualita or sentience. So if you take a philosophical zombie and poke it with a sharp object, it doesn't feel any pain. However, it behaves exactly if it does. You know, it say, ouch, and do all the usual kind of things. So what the, what the zombie's there for is to support the idea that the world includes two kinds of things, the mental and the physical, or the, the, the concepts and the physical uh, world around you. And so that's the idea. So we have in cosmology lots of things. We have the ontopic principle, that is a, a philosophical concept that the universe must be compatible with conscious life that observes it. And there's a strong version and a weak version, one of them that says the universe is compelled to have conscious life emerge, and the other says that the universe is fine-tuned for life to be necessary. And this is pretty much in line with a lot of uh, even more specific kind of ideas from conservative Christianity and, and Islam, that there's intelligent design, or it could be like a simulation. So this is, I'm, I'm working on you some. And we also have the idea of multiverses, that there are many different kinds. There's a, there's a meta-universe, and there's many possible universes inside of it. And there are different reasons for that, quantum mechanics, but also a way to explain why the physical constants happen to be the ones that make this auditorium possible. And so, you know, one way is to have that many real universes. The other way is just to make a lot of simulations. So, you, your choice. Okay, so let me move on. Here's the crux of the arguments. And these arguments have been around for more than 30 years. And uh, they were first published 30 years ago. And what people went to a lot of trouble to show that one of these three things is extremely likely to be true. So you got your choice between number one, number two, and number three. Just like the doors. Look what's behind each door. The first one is human civilization is unlikely to reach a level of technological maturity capable of producing simulated realities, right? Or it's physically impossible. Okay, so we've made some progress in 30 years, and I'll mention that. The second is comparable civilizations throughout the universe, are, you know, which would do, do reach that capability, will choose not to make simulations in such a large scale that, in fact, the probability of being simulated being is much higher than the probability of being a real being. Right? So, that, so those are your choices. Right? There's some other choices, but they're extraordinarily unlikely, and, and we can pretty much rule them out. And the third choice is any entity with our general set of experiences are almost certainly to be living in a simulation. Okay. That would be us. Right. Okay. <laughs> in case you guys aren't paying attention. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about making simulated realities by humans. So will humans produce realistic simulations? And the answer is yes. I have to keep coming back because I just wrote this talk and so I don't remember what all I had to say. And... Uh, so the answer to that is clearly yes. You guys already proved it, right? Because there's a lot of money to be made in making computer games, right? simulated realities. And the better the simulated reality, the more people you get involved in it. There's a lot of entertainment. We have a lot of animated movies. Now we're going to have animated interactive movies and videos, right, that's coming on. And pornography. So, you know, you can't rule out pornography. In the early days of the Internet, 
pornography was the, the, the number one commerce. It was roughly half the commerce in the internet in the early days. And even today, 50% of the, of the bits that are transmitted on the internet are transmitted for porn, right? So you can wonder why is that? Well, we're originally stories, and then they got to be pictures, and then they got to be videos. Pretty soon there'll be interactive videos, right? So it's clearly there's a tremendous financial motivation, and especially here in Media City, where people make their living out of this kind of things. So how, <laughs> I'm not sure which of the three, but okay. <laughs> How detailed and how accurate will the simulations be? And the answer turns out, as we know from experience, computation power is the first issue. You have to have tremendously good computation power to make a really good quality simulation. And pro good programming, that is good software to explain what's going on, that's the second. But clearly we're making progress. Just look at the games, the original, look at Pong and look at the kind of video games we have now, right? And, uh, so we'll see. What about simulations by other civilizations? Okay. So now we know a lot more about this than we did 30 years ago. We've made tremendous progress. We've discovered more than 2,000 other stars that have planetary systems around them. And uh, we know there is, at least on the order of a billion or more habitable planets in our galaxy, and there's about 100 billion galaxies for around 10 to the 20th to 10 to the 22, depending what you range, possible sites for life and then advanced civilizations in the universe. So what are the chances that the Earth is the most advanced, the most computationally powerful? Right? Well, the odds, you, you've got to be really, you know, pretty much thinking you're special to think that the odds are that we're the, we're the top, right? And uh, so then the question is, will, you know, advanced, uh, you know, beings run simulations, right? And in fact, will simulated beings run simulations, right? If we're simulated, are we running simulations? And are simulations, you know, it's simulations all the way down, if you, if you know the things. So even, even the people running our simulation don't know if they're a simulation or not. Okay. So, well, that's, there's, it's interesting because it creates ethics and a bunch of things because there might be somebody watching you, right? And, uh, so are ethical considerations likely to stop every single civilization from running simulations, right? And running large numbers of simulations. All right. Well, the answer I think is no. What if doing simulations is likely to save what we think are real lives, right? We're willing to do the simulations, even though there are beings trapped in that simulation, right? Conscious beings. And the other thing you might consider is how do human beings treat real, what they think are real human beings? How's the ethical treatment on, on our earth and how, how much more society like to advance before we're doing very advanced civilizations, very advanced simulations of civilizations and, and beings. Okay? So it probably will be in a simulation. The lights are not on enough in here, but look to the left and look to the right. If there's anybody here you think is a real person, this is a random sample, then you're probably not. Right? <laughs> so, all right, we'll go in that. But, you know, if you think you're a social scientist or an anthropologist or something, and you want to run and see how a civilization is rise and fall, you'll run simulations with up to billions of people, right? And you will run many of those simulations. So it's not so hard to imagine you'll get up to the level of 10 to the 12th to 1 simulated beings to unsimulated beings. And so that's, that's, you know, that's why the probability becomes very likely that any being that has the behavior or activities and experiences like us is simulated, right? Sorry, I got some some sunscreen in my eye. I put on sunscreen this morning in case it was an unusual day in England. <laughs> and I got a little in my eye here. Okay, so let's talk about 
how, how we're going to do the simulations on the earth. Okay, let me convince, this is part of going back to convince you that we're going to have realistic simulations and we're going to have, have artificial reality to go with it. Okay, so can we take a real brain and make it into a virtual mind? And the answer is, so here's the purple real brain and the neurons behind it is this neural net. It's the original neural net as far as we were concerned. And then on the left, yeah, your left, um, there is the beginnings of mapping of a brain so that I can take and map that brain and just place it into a computer, right? So how, how's that going to work, okay? The answer is it's going to work just fine because we are there to the point where we can do it now. So here's a, here is a high-resolution 45-minute brain scan. It was done in February, okay? And 45 minutes, that's how long you have to hold a person's head still in order to make a map to this level. And what you can see here are the main... Let's see if the laser pointer works. Nope. So what you can see here are the main highways in your brain, right, that are mapped out by this. And this is this is basically an MRI. I, I got a scan of my brain done, and I was really impressed to prove that I had a brain. But one of my friends got an fMRI, proved that his brain worked. <laughs> and so the, 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 the thing that's impressive about this is that the, that the MRIs are getting so good now, you can map to the individual neuron metal, level. The problem is there's a lot of neurons, so you'd have to hold the head still for a long time. And that's an advance in the ability to do the mapping and also in the software for doing that mapping. And so that's where we are today. If we can hold the person still long enough, if we can find a volunteer that we can put, you know, the little plastic thing on their head to hold their head still for some days, right, which is a little bit of a problem, we could probably go ahead and map their, map their entire brain and then just transform that map into a computer model, and we would have that person's mind downloaded into a computer. Okay. So this is coming, and this is coming soon, just like it's now possible for, on the order of a 1,000 pounds, to get your DNA mapped. It's going to cost you something in, 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 about th in about 30 years. It's going to be possible to download your brain into a computer for about a 1,000 pounds, right? plus inflation. <laughs> Well, I don't know how, you know, could, could go up, could go down, right? But th there's tremendous advances in technology, and these are making it possible to do things that before we thought. So I have a quote from a Google expert. We'll be uploading entire minds to computers in 2045. He also says, we'll do bodies too. I'm thinking we won't do bodies. What we'll do is we'll take that mind and keep it from going out of its mind. We'll put it in artificial reality, right? It's in the computer. It's going to get bored. Wants entertainment, wants social interactions, and so forth. So we're going to create artificial realities. Now, in the old days, we'd make a thing like that, if you remember the matrix, right? Ones and zeros. Now, in fact, we may use quantum computers, so we'll have entangled states. But in fact, it'll be some kind of a complicated environment where we can interact socially, because people want to be social. So there'll have to be thousands of people to interact with, and there'll have to be all kinds of other things in order to make that artificial environment sort of realistic and keep you going. And remember, when you download your brain, you're going to think about a million times faster. You're going to experience life about a million times faster. It's going to be a very different kind of a, of a situation. You know, the idea of going back in machines and going out in the real world where things are so slow, that's, you know, you, you're going to get tired of doing that. And besides, the simulated porn isn't so good in the real world. <laughs> so, okay. So now the other thing I have to do is to track your, that attack your certainty. Okay. So I have to point out to you, human beings are not good at figuring out if they're real, okay? So the human mind is really not equipped for addressing uh, this and many other important questions. So the first question I'm going to give you 
is count the number of black dots. Okay? Not a, not, it's a still picture. I mean, there's no video. No. Okay, so, all right. Here we go. You see this picture. How many of you see the horse in the picture? How many of you can not see the horse in the picture? Once you see the horse, it's hard not to see the horse. Okay. Okay, and I'm going to show you a picture of an object and ask you, can it be real? And then I'm going to tell you it's a photograph. The watch is real. The, the paper is real. The desk is real. Is that object real? Well, it's a photograph, so it's real in some sense. As is this. And for me, this object flips back and forth. Okay. Here's the real version of that made out of, out of, out of two by fours. We call it in America anyway, two by fours. Focused at two different angles. And you see it's an optical illusion where your eye puts it together. And here's another example. And this is a, another example just for fun. You, you know, cause you know it's just rotated, but it, their first response is, ooh, that's weird. Okay. So here's one you're going to get the answer to. Which of these is longer? All right, so they're the same. How come? It doesn't really look that way to you. You knew that I was tricking you, so you, <laughs> you know, you understand. Well, you still look at it. You still think, well, you know, but I better check now because I know I've been making mistakes. Okay, so one more, right? I'll skip the lilac chaser on the other side and just ask you about the, the stuff on the right. Are those lines straight or not? Well, they are straight, but to your eyes, they, it's really hard to convince, convince you they're straight. Right, your your brain is you know is set to do do other things. All right, here's another here's another Bayesian reasoning test in the, in the land of Bayes. So we do it, and this is there as many examples you can give this. But a cab is involved in hit and run, and two cab companies are in the in in the in the town, green cabs and blue cabs, right? And they operate. 85% of the cabs are green, 15% are blue. The witness says the cab was blue. When he's tested, he gets it right 80% of the time, or she gets it right 80% of the time. Right. What's the probability that it really was a blue cab? You have to go through the calculation carefully. This is the only equation. Usually when I put equations up, people go, you know. <laughs> but it's almost 60% chance that the cab was green, even though the person gets it 80% right. And this is relevant. But this is a, there are other kinds of tests like that. So you can have tests that are even more powerful, like the test for breast cancer is 99% correct. It gets the wrong answer 1% of the time. But roughly a 1,000 times as many people who, who, you know, 1,000 of the people who get tested actually have breast cancer. So when you get the first response that you have breast cancer, it's only a 10% chance you really do. It's not until you get the next test. And so, but the 10%, you know, the 10 people are, are freaked out, right? And so it's, humans aren't ready for dealing with that kind of thing. Okay. So it's because we lack computing power. So we have compromises in our algorithms, right? Humans, therefore, are susceptible to Optical illusion, systematic errors in judgment. Oh, I'm running out of time. I should have gone faster. I got confident. Uh, difficulty with complex decision and keeping on time. And the ability to function in a prehistoric world, which was the important one. You know, only a few percent of, of the humans got wiped out before they were able to reproduce. Okay. So simulations are going to make the same kind or similar approximates, you know. So we have many, uh, many contradictions. We could, we could See, if our physics is inconsistent, then it's likely we're in a simulation. If physics is self-consistent, it's more likely we're real because it just takes more to do that. So, so that one of the implications is if we are in a simulated environment, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to have a, you know, we're going to be discretized. That is fuzzy on small scale. We're going to have entangled states. 
means quantum mechanics. We have the holographic principle that everything inside of a volume is encoded on the surface. So here's an example, right? The hand and the apple are encoded on a two-dimensional sheet but projected into three dimensions. That's a way to keep track of everything. And the large scale and space to time may not match the small scale. So let me finish up. Human beings are all equipped for, for determining reality. Physics, so this is actually a selling thing for physics, is a fundamental test of our realness. Currently we have contradictions. Is that because we're not good at resolving things or is it because we're in a simulation, right? And what would that mean? Thank you. In early October of 2019, a young CEO by the name of Aaron Valenti was on a business trip from Utah to California. The 33-year-old was to participate in a 3D workshop and tech conference with other businessmen and women. Her company, Tinker Ventures, had previously endorsed brain-machine interface technology that dealt with machine learning and neuroscience. After frantically calling her parents, exclaiming, It's all a game, it's a thought experiment, we're in the Matrix, Valenti misses her flight home and is found dead a few days later, leaving behind a very strange mystery. What happened to Aaron Valenti? Aaron Valenti grew up in Fairpoint, New York, and was described as being smart, energetic, and full of crazy ideas. She was a graduate in business administration from Georgetown University, and attended classes in Chinese language, culture, and business practices. Aaron was also an advocate against human trafficking, and a volunteer for Not For Sale, a nonprofit organization that fights against human trafficking and modern-day slavery. Her husband, Harrison Weinstein, is a psychologist who insisted that his wife had no history of mental illness, hospitalization, substance abuse, or arrests. She was completely normal. The two eventually moved to Salt Lake City, Utah, where Aaron started up Tinker Ventures, a web development company that now employs over 120 people. The business notably recruited a remote staff of engineers from Pakistan, and was very profitable, according to close friends of Aaron. In 2019, Aaron planned a business trip to Orange County for a tech conference, and then to Silicon Valley to meet with friends. Her last post on Facebook was on September 25th, and it stated, Heading to San Francisco and Los Angeles soon. Who's around? DM me. On the week of October 1st, 2019, Aaron flew to Orange County, California for a professional development workshop. Her mother, Agnes Valenti, recalled that Aaron sounded very excited about her trip during their phone call, that she couldn't wait to get home and start something new. A few days later, she flew to Silicon Valley to visit old friends and former colleagues. Finally, on October 7th, Aaron made a series of strange phone calls to her husband, Harrison, and her mother. They described the way she spoke as being out of character. Her words were reportedly fast and erratic and that what she was saying wasn't making much sense. Notably, Aaron told her mother, it's all a game, it's a thought experiment, 
were in the Matrix. Erin also stated that she was going to miss her flight and that the vehicle she was driving was low on gas. Her husband and mother took turns talking to her on the phone until midnight. After that, their calls went straight to voicemail. They would not hear from her ever again. Later that night, Erin missed her flight from the Palo Alto Airport to Utah. She was reportedly last seen at Almaden Expressway and Camden Avenue in San Jose, California, wearing a white t-shirt and ripped up blue jeans. Her case was sent to the San Jose Police Department, and five days later, she was found dead in the back seat of a rental vehicle in an Almaden neighborhood. There were no signs of physical assault, and no drugs in her system either. Shortly after their phone call, Valenti's family went to the police in search for Aaron. The family gave details about her rental vehicle, including the make, model, and license plate. The police actually managed to speak to her through the phone that night, but also found her communications to be bizarre. Weinstein contacted Verizon Wireless and found out that the last place Aaron's cell phone had signal in was on Menlo Drive, north of the Almaden Expressway. Her phone also pinged a few times up north, before shutting off. Officers investigated both areas, as well as nearby hospitals for several hours, but found nothing. Interestingly, her rental vehicle did not have any sort of tracking device on it. The family also attempted to locate her phone using apps such as Find My, but were unsuccessful. Despite the fact that Aaron was clearly in danger, the police supposedly did not report an official missing persons case until Thursday, October 10th, 2019. By that point, the family hadn't heard from Aaron for three days. This is due to the police believing that her disappearance was not a top priority, simply because she was an adult and could have just decided to take a few days off. Sounds crazy, but people have voluntarily disappeared on their own accord because of an abusive partner, home life, or such. As noted by spokeswoman Sergeant Melody Gray, if you're over 18, you have the right. However, given that Aaron was the CEO of a fairly large web development company that worked on contract, not subscriptions, and that she was even set to receive an award for entrepreneurial excellence a mere two days later, it's highly unlikely that she would choose to leave. Still, when the police eventually did file her disappearance, they described her as being voluntarily missing and didn't actively search for her. Disappointed with the police's lack of effort, Aaron's family created a Facebook page called Help Find Aaron Valenti. The page garnered the attention of locals from the Bay Area who volunteered in the search. Some families drove around in pursuit of Aaron, while others incorporated the use of drones. Despite all their efforts, Aaron remained missing. That is, until a few days later, when one of the volunteers from Facebook located Aaron's gray SUV parked at a residential street in a quiet San Jose neighborhood, around half a mile away from her last known location. After looking inside, her body was found in the back seat of the vehicle. The coroner's office hadn't yet officially identified the body, but Valentine's family was able to confirm that it was her. An investigation by the San Jose Police Department found no evidence of foul play, and blood tests determined that there were no drugs or substances in her system. 
At the time, officials were not able to determine Erin's exact time of death, nor how long she was in her car before being found. We now know that her vehicle was parked on the street for five days, following an extensive investigation. This means that, shortly after Erin's phone call with her family, she missed her flight home, parked at a nearby neighborhood, jumped in the back seat of a rental vehicle, died somehow, and remained completely unnoticed for several days. Residents of the quiet neighborhood struggle to rationalize what could have happened. It's really strange, bizarre, foggy to me, because this kind of stuff just doesn't usually go down in Almaden. What else seems weird is that none of us noticed, and we're a pretty tight neighborhood, so I'm pretty tripped out. Aaron's father, Joseph Valenti, firmly believes that the San Jose Police Department completely mishandled her daughter's case, and wished that they had acted more aggressively. It's difficult to know exactly what happened the week Aaron went missing, but most sources say that the police did not do as much as they should have. With such a strange circumstance and so many unanswered questions, it leaves the case open for conspiracy theories. Some online sleuths have accused her three-day workshop of being an LGAT, or Large Group Awareness Training. The workshop Aaron participated in was called Create Powerful, hosted by Ansocor, and was intended to help entrepreneurs with personal and professional growth for their businesses. Some have compared this to an LGAT, which are also self-help seminars that incorporate psychological and somewhat cult-like practices. Both cost a large amount of money, both take place over several days with a group of people involved, and both promise to help attendees achieve better success with their business. Many have expressed fear that the techniques used in LGATs can be very harmful, but there's little scientific evidence to support this claim. Others have attempted to tie this to the overstock scandal that happened a few months prior. In August of 2019, then-CEO of Overstock, Patrick Byrne, resigned after issuing a statement where he claimed to be involved in political espionage. And Erin did used to work at Overstock, and she did have a meetup with old colleagues. If there is a connection there, it's honestly outside the realm of this video, and seems to be a whole other conspiracy on its own. Finally, an eco-terrorist group known as the Individualist Tending Towards the Wild, or simply the ITS, claims to be responsible for the death of Aaron, as well as another tech CEO, Tushar Atre. In Tushar's case, he was kidnapped from his home in Santa Cruz on October 1st, 2019, and was found dead the next day. However, this claim has not been verified, and there's no evidence to suggest the group's involvement. One of the oddest aspects of this case is, of course, her last comments before her disappearance. She exclaimed to her mother, It's all a game. It's a thought experiment. We're in the Matrix. Even though it's quite a bizarre thing for someone to say right before their suspicious death, it might actually be explainable, but more on that in a moment. 
I think it's safe to say that most people watching this video know what The Matrix is, but just in case you don't, The Matrix is this philosophical idea that the universe and everything that it's made up of is a simulation. This is most popularly depicted in the 1999 movie of the same name, where our main protagonist, Neo, finds out that humanity has been enslaved by the machines, an advanced race of artificial intelligence, and the life that he was experiencing was just information being fed to his brain. This... This isn't real. What is real? How do you define real? If you're talking about what you can feel, what you can smell, what you can taste and see, then real is simply electrical signals interpreted by your brain. Now, I don't think the people who believe in the idea of the Matrix also believe that machines and robots will one day overthrow humanity, but instead they believe that, at some point, human consciousness, something that we don't currently fully understand, became understood, to the point of it being replicable. And so, like humans usually do, we went for it, and succeeded. Given how much our technology has evolved in the past few decades, and how more integrated AI technology has been in our everyday lives, I wouldn't say that creating a simulation of our world in the next couple hundred years or so isn't entirely unlikely. And if that's the case, then who's to say we're not already in a simulation? If you assume any rate of improvement at all, um, then the games will become indistinguishable from reality. Just in, indistinguishable. It would seem to follow that the odds that we're in base reality is one in billions. Of course, this is all just a theory based on a number of assumptions that makes for a fun, philosophical conversation. But such technology that can read our movements and replicate them in a simulation is already being developed. And as previously stated, Aaron's company Tinker Ventures did endorse the advance of brain-machine interface technology, particularly from the company Control Labs, founded by Thomas Reardon of Microsoft fame. The company sought to create a future in which machines are natural extensions of thoughts and movements, according to Medium. Control Labs will connect your nervous system to your technology and allow your brain to send commands through the muscles in your arm. It's so sensitive, you don't even have to move your arm or hand to make it work. The controller just gets the idea. The future of brain-machine interfaces is non-invasive. Instead of surgical implants, Control Labs uses state-of-the-art detection and machine learning to read your neurons from outside the body. The first step will be technology precisely picking up the signals from inside your body to control devices outside of it with little more than natural gestures. The next step, and we're already closer than most people realize, will be reading the intention directly from your brain. This, combined with Erin's last words to her family, and her mysterious death, have led some to believe that she may have stumbled upon some grand conspiracy involving our world being a simulation. Unfortunately, this was all we had to work with for the next couple of months, as no new details about Erin's death would be discovered leaving her case as a mystery. That is, until February of 2020. In February of 2020, a cause of death was finally identified for Aaron Valenti. 
According to the autopsy reports, her death was due to natural causes following an acute manic episode, though it didn't specify what exactly killed her. Although Erin's husband claimed that she had no previous mental or drug-related issues, Erin did have a thyroid condition that was later treated with medication. According to Business Insider, it's possible that she could have died due to this previous condition that she thought was already taken care of. But the blood samples taken were, quote, not satisfactory for an analysis. Furthermore, an investigation into some of Erin's last electronic communications showed symptoms of a manic episode, according to the San Jose Medical Examiner's Office. They eventually concluded that her death was due to an undiagnosed psychiatric disorder, bipolar disorder. Bipolar disorder is defined as an illness in which one experiences periods of extremely high moods and extremely low moods. You can think of these two periods as opposite ends of a pole, hence the name bipolar disorder. According to Dr. Poe Wing, a psychiatrist from Stanford University who specializes in bipolar disorder, the condition is frequently undiagnosed, and what often follows after is a period of depression and irritability, where suicide attempts are common. In Aaron's case, she could have experienced her manic episode sometime after visiting her friends in Silicon Valley. This causes her to call her parents and frantically talk about life being a thought experiment or the Matrix. Her company was interested in that kind of technology after all. Following that conversation, she rushes to the airport, experiences a wave of depression, parks her vehicle in a San Jose neighborhood, and dies shortly thereafter. Even so, if Aaron had committed suicide, the method by which she did so is still unclear. However, it's not entirely unlikely. A study conducted at the University of California, San Francisco, surveyed 242 entrepreneurs and found that 49% of them reported having at least one mental health condition. When compared to a small sample of 93 non-entrepreneurs, they were noticeably more likely to report having some type of mental health condition. The entrepreneurs were then asked to specify on their condition. 30% reported having depression, 29% reported having ADHD, 12% reported having substance abuse, 11% were reported having bipolar disorder, and 27% reported having anxiety. In comparison, 7% of the U.S. population have identified themselves as depressed, according to the National Institute of Mental Health. All of this would seem to suggest a link between having mental health disorders and entrepreneurship. And this isn't too surprising. Take Aaron Swartz, for example. He was an entrepreneur and internet activist, who was mostly known as the co-founder of Reddit. He wrote about his own struggles with depression on his online blog, and after being arrested, he committed suicide. There are dozens of examples and articles written on the subject. And perhaps Aaron could have been affected by this as well. However, because Aaron's body was found a few days after she died, the autopsy report admitted that their findings were inconclusive. Furthermore, her family just doesn't believe that she was the type of person to kill herself. Following her death, Aaron's family started the Aaron Valenti Woman in Entrepreneurship Scholarship with the goal of raising $100,000 for aspiring female entrepreneurs at the University of Utah. She always believed that more women should pursue an entrepreneurship, and this scholarship was created to honor that dream. 
Whatever happened to Aaron Valenti will remain a mystery. As her mother Agnes remarks, we may never find an answer. How do you define real? The Matrix meditates on the question, what's real? And how can we know when the tools we use to perceive reality, our senses and our brains, can be deceived? If you're talking about what you can feel, what you can smell, what you can taste and see, then real is simply electrical signals interpreted by your brain. This question has fascinated philosophers through the centuries, and if we dig into the 1999 film's many influences and references, it becomes clear that the computer simulation enslaving human minds is really a social critique of an increasingly spectacle-driven, unreal capitalist culture. You don't realize it, but you are being programmed. The first movie in the Wachowskis trilogy told viewers to wake up. And question where civilization was heading. And this leads us to ask, if The Matrix posited that society at the turn of the millennium was losing touch with reality, 20 years later, are we straight up living in The Matrix? What's happened is that cyberspace has colonized the real world. They've drilled a hole in the back of our head and now they've injected the virus and now we walk around searching for feedback using social media. And they won. This video is brought to you by NordVPN, the best virtual private network out there. Right now, our viewers get a very special deal. Click the link in the description below, nordvpn.com slash thetake, to get 75% off a three-year plan. And enter the code thetake to get an extra month of NordVPN for free. The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world. The possibility that we could be living in an illusion or simulation which obscures our true reality has appeared through the ages in a diverse array of thought experiments and religious writings. The Hindu religion has the idea that the phenomenal world is an illusion, called Maya, separate from the eternal reality which is God. Buddhism has a similar concept of elusive reality, samsara, and it sees the goal of enlightenment as freeing ourselves from the suffering of attachment to this plane of life. The Taoist story, Zhuangzi Dreamed He Was a Butterfly, features a dreamer who doesn't know he's himself and not a butterfly. Have you ever had a dream, Neo, that you were so sure was real? Gnosticism has the idea of a demiurge, a kind of demigod who created the flawed system in which we find ourselves, while a higher truth exists beyond that structure. The Gnostics also emphasize knowledge as the key to spirituality and paint ignorance as humankind's major obstacle. Only try to realize the truth. The philosophy is also shaped by Immanuel Kant's discussion of how the way that we filter reality through tools like language leads to self-deceit and a blindness to the truth. I think it's a sort of straightforward 
extrapolation of the sort of stuff we get in Kant and the idea that the world is in some way or other a construction of what's going on in my mind. Philosopher Rene Descartes imagined the concept of an evil demon who's intentionally deceiving him. A 20th century update to this, the brain in a vat thought scenario imagines a brain connected to a supercomputer that simulates reality. In other words, it's pretty much the premise of the Matrix. How would you know the difference between the dream world and the real world? The movie is also a perfect illustration of Plato's famous allegory of the cave, in which people are chained inside a cave watching shadows against the wall, thinking that's all there is. When the philosopher manages to get free, facing the light of the sun outside the cave is blinding and painful. Why am I, sir? You've never used them before. Meanwhile, the people imprisoned in the cave will distrust this freed man and fight to protect this shadow show they believe to be reality. Most of these people are not ready to be unplugged. And many of them are so inert, so hopelessly dependent on the system that they will fight to protect it. In Plato's allegory, it's only the rarest soul that manages to escape. Most believe the highest possible achievement is to be one of the artists in charge of projecting the puppet shows on the wall for the masses. I don't want to be rich. You know, someone important. Like an actor. The deepest point of all these thought exercises is to teach us to be skeptical, to distrust our senses. Born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch. And to consider that there could be deeper truths and values of the utmost importance which aren't readily apparent in our sensual, materialist surface reality. So why did The Matrix urge us to doubt? There's something wrong with the world. 1999 was the year of Y2K, when people feared the year 2000 would bring a crippling crash of computers around the globe. The Matrix reckons with humankind's growing dependence on computers and the threat of true AI, issues that have grown far more central to our consciousness since. AI is a fundamental existential risk for human civilization. At the dawn of the new millennium, this movie and others seemed unsettled by the increasingly tech-driven, image-conscious, consumerist direction modern society was moving in. We are consumers. We are byproducts of a lifestyle obsession. The Matrix and its peers questioned if perhaps we had lost something important without thinking critically enough about what we were signing up for. Murder, crime, poverty, these things don't concern me. What concerns me? celebrity magazines, television with 500 channels, some guy's name on my underwear. In Neo's first scene, he retrieves floppy disks with illegal software from a hollowed-out book, Simulacra and Simulation, a postmodern 1981 treatise by Jean Baudrillard, which was required reading for this movie's main cast and crew. A simulacrum is a likeness of an original, and Baudrillard wrote of simulacra which are increasingly divorced from the original, or which never had any original to begin with, a state he called hyperreality. He appears to hold that reality has disappeared. Baudrillard compared our media-driven, capitalist, urbanized civilization to living in a map, while the territory the map is supposed to chart fades out of existence. In Baudrillard's fable, reality exists only as rotting shreds that are attached to the map. Only small vestiges of reality remain in what he called the desert of the real. 
our culture is interacting with empty images and symbols. We've gotten so far away from reality, we wouldn't know it even if we saw it. And if some fragment of the real does exist, most of us probably don't even care. The real has become irrelevant if undefinable. Another book that the Wachowskis gave Reeves to read was Kevin Kelly's Out of Control, which looked at how the future of society could increasingly see the artificial replacing the natural. Baudrillard's ideas are also indebted to Guy Debord's 1967 text, The Society of the Spectacle, which describes a beastly spectacle that sounds a lot like The Matrix. Quote, The spectacle is not a collection of images, but a social relation among people mediated by images we become more and more on the treadmill to the number of likes or, or, or feedback we get, basically, from social media and start tying our own approval, our own self-worth to how much attention we get from other people. He says the spectacle is the nightmare of imprisoned modern society, which ultimately expresses nothing more than its desire to sleep. I go back to sleep, and when I wake up, I don't remember a goddamn thing. The power of The Matrix is in taking these social critiques and making them incredibly literal. I have these memories from my life. None of them have it. Neo's feelings of dissatisfaction, alienation, and unreality are exactly the responses that these theorists describe plaguing citizens of modern spectacular society. You ever have that feeling where you're not sure if you're awake or still dreaming? And if all this felt very relevant in 1999, in 2019, it's more convincing than ever to argue we are living in a matrix of our own making, a collective dream world in which the reality behind the simulation holds less and less weight. Because we get rewarded in these short-term signals, hearts, likes, thumbs up, and we conflate that with value and we conflate it with truth. The social media post means more than the private experience. I already got 17 likes on my latest Instagram. All my peeps are bugging out because now they know what my meal looked like. And intangible corporations have as many or more rights than people. There are certain judges who are alleging that somehow corporations have the same rights as citizens. Citizens of advanced, hyper-capitalist societies are disconnected from who's growing our food or making our clothes. Don't you think the people buying these panties would be weird if they knew a bunch of villains made them? The shared fictions of digits on screens determine the futures of societies. People ride around on bikes sponsored by banks. The internet's more important than real life. Welcome to the future. Yet, as far as we know, this isn't some trick computer simulation, even if Elon Musk disagrees. The odds that we're in base reality is one in billions. It's a state of affairs that, step by step, our culture has openly chosen. People are following you, so we should count them, and then we should put that count right on your profile page and obviously people care about that so we should make it big we're well aware we live in a world in which people care less than ever about the truth alternative facts are not facts they're falsehoods cypher's storyline about desiring to go back to the matrix even though he knows it's an illusion and get my body back in a power plant reinsert me into the matrix closely resembles Robert Nozick's 1974 thought experiment, the experience machine. It imagines a machine that simulates pleasurable experiences. I know this state doesn't exist. And asks whether people would trade their actual lives to plug into this machine. I know that when I put it in my mouth, the matrix is telling my brain that it is juicy and delicious. 
As material comforts get ever more seductive and unreal images ever more dazzling, the sensory experience you can enjoy in a wealthy Western society today is hyper-real. Arguably better than reality. Reality's not going to be enough for her now. So Cipher might say, "What's the problem?" Ignorance is bliss. Why cling to that old dying desert you once called the real? I choose the Matrix. Nozick argued we shouldn't plug into his pleasure machine. Why? Because it matters to really do things, not just think you have. To be a certain kind of person, and not to limit ourselves to only those realities our rational minds or the computers we've invented can contrive for us. Nozick says this is just one of our fundamental concerns: that not just that we live a happy life, but that we live a real life, that we be in touch with the truth. So stepping back for a minute from our matrix-like world today, we have to ask if we aren't all making Cipher's mistake, being so seduced by the taste of a juicy steak that we throw away the best things we have, our human values and our freedom. Their goals of of engaging us the most by having us care about likes become our goals. We actually wake up in the morning as sovereign human beings, and we start caring about the number of likes we got, as if that's our goal in life. The Matrix is a war of ideas, and what's at stake is the soul of our modern society. The age-old dualities of Western culture battle it out: emotion versus logic, chaos versus order, spirituality versus science, free will versus destiny. The machines are the cold, materialistic determinists, striving to control the irrational nature of humans, represented by the resistance. Before Neo is freed from the Matrix, he's presented with a series of choices that contain the same duality: freedom through truth or slavery through ignorance. His very last line in the movie again highlights choice. Where we go from there is a choice I leave to you. This focus on freedom and choice is so relevant because systems of power, like the machines in the Matrix, benefit from making us believe freedom is not an option. Either you choose to be at your desk on time from this day forth, or you choose to find yourself another job. When we meet Neo, he's living in room 101. The number alludes to his nature as the One, and in binary is the number five, foreshadowing the discovery that Neo will be the sixth incarnation of the One. But most strikingly, it's a reference to the torture room in George Orwell's dystopia 1984, used to make citizens conform by subjecting them to their worst fear. Thing that is in room 101 is the worst thing in the world. The fact that Neo lives in this room symbolizes that his mind is a prisoner inside the Matrix, and perhaps also that his greatest dread is mental captivity—a prison for your mind. The Matrix paints waking up to the truth as a confrontational act. You have a problem with authority, Mr. Anderson, because the powers that be are invested in keeping the wool pulled over your eyes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes. In the on nihilism chapter Neo opens to, Baudrillard calls himself a terrorist, just as the agents refer to Morpheus. All that we're asking in return is your cooperation in bringing a known terrorist to justice. The Matrix is summarized for us as a system of control. What is the Matrix? Control. It distracts people's minds so it can exploit and enslave their bodies. In order to change a human being. Into this. 
metaphorically, this is already true. Are human beings in our society not also exploited for their labor? If The Matrix's portrait is accurate, if this grand spectacle is a subtle, nearly invisible means of control... That sense that I was sort of losing control over my own choices, over my own attention, over who I was becoming. Then we have to ask ourselves, in our world's matrix, who profits? Look at the Koch brothers. That's what they do. They have built a network of influence based on capital. Their worldview is propagated into the world at an unbelievably aggressive rate that has been compounding for decades. The first movie's emphasis on freedom sends the message that even if it feels like you don't have any choice... You believe that you are special, that somehow the rules do not apply to you. Obviously, you are mistaken. This is an illusion. You have more power than you know, because the one thing you have total control over is your mind. Never had a camera in my head. Thoughts are free, which is exactly why The Matrix tries so very hard to conquer our thoughts. Advertising has us chasing cars and clothes, working jobs we hate so we can buy shit we don't need. Though ignorance seems like bliss, it's only with our eyes wide open that we have any chance of solving the world's big problems and ensuring the continued freedom of the human race. We can start basing things on human values. We can change from time spent to time well spent. It's crucial for Neo to believe he's in control of his life. Do you believe in fate, Neo? No. Why not? Because I don't like the idea that I'm not in control of my life. The irony is that when he says this, he's still plugged into the Matrix. He doesn't even know what is real, so it's impossible for him to make real decisions. Not understanding reality makes us like babies, incapable of agency or consent. We accept the reality of the world with which we're presented. The Matrix uses references to Alice in Wonderland to capture Neo's feeling of being a scared, naive youth who's unsure what's real as he encounters a strange new world. I imagine that right now you're feeling a bit like Alice. At the beginning, Trinity tells Neo to follow the White Rabbit, and when he spots this tattoo on a woman's shoulder, he follows the sign and begins his journey in pursuit of the truth. The later red pill, blue pill choice... You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. ...is similar to Alice encountering a cake labeled Eat Me and a bottle labeled Drink Me, which she has to consume in order to change physically before she can go further. And when he sticks his finger into the mirror, this captures the feeling of going through the looking glass into an alternate plane that discards conventional logic. Neo is also compared to another unsuspecting ingenue whose world is turned inside out, Dorothy of The Wizard of Oz. It means buckle your seatbelt, Dorothy, because Kansas... Is going bye-bye. In addition to a number of John Woo and other Hong Kong action films that influence the fight scenes, The Matrix channels the vibe of the cyberpunk genre, especially William Gibson's 1984 novel Neuromancer, which also centers on hackers and features a computer network called The Matrix. The Matrix has its roots in primitive arcade games, said the voiceover. 
a term that can also be traced back to the 1969 novel The White Room. Another cyberpunk staple, Ghost in the Shell, has a clear impact on the visuals of The Matrix, and also tells the story of uncovering a world-shattering truth about oneself. What if a cyberbrain could possibly generate its own ghost, create a soul all by itself? And if it did, just what would be the importance of being human then? Science fiction writer Philip K. Dick is another big influence on The Matrix's thought. We are living in a computer-programmed reality, and the only clue we have to it is when some variable is changed. Deja vu is usually a glitch in The Matrix. It happens when they change something. In the years since The Matrix, the Wachowskis both came out as trans women, and this has also inspired many to read the story as a parable of gender dysphoria. Like a splinter in your mind, driving you mad. There are plenty more film and literary references that can be seen. Jules Verne's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, Aldous Huxley's The Doors of Perception. It's called masculine. It's the only way to fly. Metropolis, 2001 A Space Odyssey, Alien, Men in Black, Karate Kid, The Terminator, Strange Days, Dark City, the TV show's Welcome to Paradox. The technology we developed confronts us. And Doctor Who? I deny this reality. The reality is a computation matrix. In our other Matrix video, we also discussed the allusions to the Christ narrative, as well as references to Nebuchadnezzar and the God of Dreams. A clear pattern emerges in the ideas fueling this story. People need a push to think more deeply and seek the truth. You need to unplug, man. And if you aren't paying attention to any of this, that probably means you're asleep at the wheel. Sweet dreams. It's notable that the machines controlling the Matrix determined that the film's year of release, 1999, was the peak of your civilization. By framing its own current time as a theoretical golden age after which things would go downhill, the Matrix challenged our expectation of progress. What if the things we assume to be improvements are in fact the opposite? The short-term dopamine-driven feedback loops that we have created are destroying how society works. We might think that it sounds nice to free our minds and all, but how can we do that when we've got social and financial responsibilities? The Matrix is everywhere. When you go to work, when you go to church, when you pay your taxes. To find out how exactly the movie unpacks what it means to free your mind. You can watch our other Matrix video, A Guide to Freeing Your Mind. But if all this talk of radical unplugging sounds a little extreme or overwhelming, one very manageable and reasonable step we can all take is simply to step back from our image-driven, money-centered daily existences and ask ourselves, am I listening to my own intuition and my own inner voice as I go about my life? Or am I letting myself be subtly told what to focus on and what to pursue with my time? You're being subtly manipulated by algorithms that are watching everything you do constantly and then sending you changes in your media feed, in your diet, to adjust you slightly to the liking of some unseen advertiser. If the thinkers who inspired The Matrix wanted us to doubt our senses, another way of saying that is to stop taking cues from what's external and pay attention to what's internal. What does that mean? That The Matrix cannot tell you who you are. The more you are driven by extrinsic values, the more your intrinsic values are starved, 
the more likely you are to become depressed and anxious by quite significant amount. We're overwhelmed a lot of the time with stimuli: dazzling ads, sound bites, catastrophic news, panic, fear-mongering, distractions, all clamoring for our attention. How do we consume as much of your time? And conscious attention as possible. But from time to time, it's worth shutting out all of this noise and saving your attention for answers that come from within. You know something. What you know, you can't explain. But you feel it. They're trying to maximize attention, but we have to ask a much deeper question, which is, what do we want in our lives, and what is our self-worth actually tied to? Ask yourself, what would Neo do? I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. The idea that reality can be simulated by computers was popularized by the Matrix series of movies, though there are earlier precedents. Among popular public thinkers advocating for the simulation hypothesis is Elon Musk, who stated, "If you assume any rate of improvement at all, games will eventually be indistinguishable from reality." Before concluding. That it's most likely we're in a simulation. The strongest argument for being in a simulation, probably being in a simulation, I think, is the following: forty years ago, we had pong, like two rectangles and a dot. Now, forty years later, we have photorealistic 3D simulations with millions of people playing simultaneously, and it's getting better every year. And soon we'll have virtual reality, we'll have augmented reality. If you assume any rate of improvement at all, then the games will become indistinguishable from reality. Even if that rate of advancement drops by a thousand from what it is right now, then you just said, "Well, let's imagine it's a ten thousand years in the future,"、uh, which is nothing in the evolutionary scale. So, given that we're clearly on a trajectory to have games that are indistinguishable from reality, and those games could be played on any set-top box or on a PC or whatever, and there would probably be billions of such computers or set-top boxes, it would seem to follow that the odds that we're in base reality is one in billions. Another high-profile proponent to the hypothesis is famous astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson. Who said in an NBC News interview that the hypothesis is correct, giving better than 50/50 odds, and adding, "I wish I could summon a strong argument against it, but I can find none." I wish I had a good argument against that hypothesis, and I do not. Someone programs a universe, and in there they gain maturity and technology, and then they program a universe. So you can have nested. Simulated universes all the way down, but there's only one real universe. Now throw a dart at all those universes. Which one are you most likely to hit? A simulated universe. In a review of the literature on simulated realities, philosopher Nick Bostrom argues that although it is difficult to prove that we are living in a simulation, it is nevertheless generally considered acceptable philosophy to question the reality of our own existence. Bostrom's simulation hypothesis is based on the idea that there are various ways that human beings might create an artificial universe. It could involve the development of a device which could convince its occupants, the simulated humans, that they are real. The argument is based on the assumption that these humans would not be able to identify it as a simulation. Bostrom argues that the resulting counterintuitive implications of his argument are, in fact, fully compatible with everything we know. 
Bostrom's argument can be shortly summarized as follows. A typical member of an advanced civilization would have a high probability of being among the simulated minds rather than among the original biological ones. Therefore, if we are typical, we should consider that we might be living in a simulation. Thus, the possibility that we are living in a simulation is greater than we might have supposed. It's a kind of probabilistic argument that purports to impose a constraint on what you can coherently believe about the future and your place in the universe. And it tries to show that one of three propositions is true. The first is that there is a very um, universal pattern where virtually all civilizations at our current stage of technological development go extinct before they reach technological maturity. The second proposition, the second alternative, as it were, is that there is a very, very strong convergence among all technologically mature civilizations. They all lose interest in creating what I call ancestor simulations. These would be computer simulations, detailed computer simulations of people like their historical predecessors, detailed enough that the simulated creatures would be conscious. And the third proposition, the third alternative, is that we are almost certainly living in a computer simulation. If all civilizations eventually reach a post-human stage with strong enough computer technology, then it must be likely for some, very advanced, civilizations to create large numbers of simulations of their ancestors or predecessors created at various points in time. Based on this logic, it is very likely that we are descendants of ancestors who were themselves created in a simulation. At some point in the future, human civilization will have the technological ability to create simulations of reality, and these simulations must include at least one copy of human civilization. Therefore, the argument runs, it is plausible that we are currently living in a simulation. Some hypotheses hold that if it is possible to simulate reality, then it is also possible to leave behind copies of everyone within these simulations. It has further been suggested that these simulated people may be conscious or sentient, although this idea belongs more in the realm of philosophy rather than scientific inquiry. If the fraction of all people within our kind of experiences that are living in a simulation is very close to one, then it follows that we probably live in a simulation. Some philosophers disagree, proposing that perhaps sims do not have conscious experiences in the same way that unsimulated humans do, or that it can otherwise be self-evident to a human that they are human rather than a sim. Although the simulation hypothesis has sound philosophical arguments before it's taken seriously, scientifically, proponents of the hypothesis have to produce experiments to support the idea with evidence. A method to test one type of simulation hypothesis was proposed in 2012 in a joint paper by physicists at the University of Washington. Under the assumption of finite computational resources, the simulation of the universe will be performed by dividing the continuum space-time into a discrete set of points. In analogy with the mini-simulations that lattice-gauge theorists run today to build up nuclei from the underlying theory of strong interactions, known as quantum chromodynamics, several observational consequences of a grid-like space-time have been studied in their work. Among proposed signatures is an anisotropy in the distribution of ultra-high-energy cosmic rays that, if observed, would be consistent with the simulation hypothesis according to these physicists. I think most likely, this is just about probability, there are many, many simulations. These simulations are, we might as well call them reality. 
what you could call the multiverse. Well, when we create a simulation, like a game or a movie, it's the distillation of what's interesting about life. You know, like it, it takes a year to shoot an action movie, and then that's all distilled down into two or three hours. Let me tell you, if you see an action movie being filmed, it's friggin' it's boring. Super boring. There's like lots of takes, there's, everything's in a green screen. Looks pretty goofy, doesn't look cool. But once you add the CGI, it have great editing, it's amazing. So I think most likely, if we're a simulation, it's really boring outside the simulation. Because why would you make a simulation that's boring? It makes the simulation way more interesting than the base reality. Some critics propose that we could be living in a base reality, meaning we are in the first generation, and all the simulated people that will one day be created do not exist. The cosmologist Sean Carroll argues that the simulation hypothesis leads to a contradiction. If we are typical, it is assumed, and we are not capable of performing simulations, this contradicts the arguer's assumption that it is easy for us to foresee that other civilizations can most likely perform simulations. Detractors further argue that the simulation hypothesis also suffers from circular reasoning. The argument assumes that the simulation would leave behind evidence of its creation in order to infer our existence. They say proponents of the hypothesis must show how we could be living in a simulation and how, given this scenario, a particular civilization would be capable of identifying itself as such. Some thinkers have pointed out that the simulation hypothesis is not a scientific hypothesis in the normal sense, because it makes no predictions about measurements and observations that could be tested. It has further been argued that the simulation hypothesis is unfalsifiable. If we can never have a definitive proof of our reality being base, then the hypothesis remains a philosophical conundrum, and not a valid scientific theory. But if you take the simulation hypothesis seriously, economist Robin Hansen argues that a self-interested occupant of a high-fidelity simulation should strive to be entertaining and praiseworthy in order to avoid being turned off or being shunted into a non-conscious, low-fidelity part of the simulation. But on the other side of the coin of this line of reasoning, Hansen additionally speculates that someone who is aware that he might be a simulation might also start to care less about others. At the very least, the first part of this argument, striving to live a good and interesting life, is compatible with both worldviews, whether we're living in a base reality or not. Thanks for watching. Did you like this video? Then show your support by subscribing, ringing the bell, and enabling notifications to never miss videos like this. What the F am I talking about when I say the simulation theory? And offering proof that we're all in it. He's gone mad. He's lost the plot. You would say that, wouldn't you, flipping normie? You have to understand, most of these people are not ready to be unplugged. And many of them are so inert, so hopelessly dependent on the system, that they will fight to protect it. Are you ready to be unplugged from the Matrix? Let's take a deep dive down the rabbit hole. Who put a rabbit hole there? This is the basic ass premise of the simulation argument. Computers can almost make a reality that is indistinguishable from our own. And now we have VR, which is almost total immersion. Indistinguishable from reality would mean that real life looks just like a video game. It would mean that you can't tell the difference between real life and a computer game. We're not there yet, but it is becoming easy to imagine a point where it's impossible to tell the difference. Now imagine just a hundred years into the future. I mean, you'll be dead. 
almost certainly. It's probable that a computer game will look, sound, taste, feel like real life. You're still thinking about the being dead bit, aren't you? Therefore, who's to say it hasn't already happened? That is the premise of the simulation argument. Now let's expand. The idea that the world being illusion has long been proposed by religions like Hinduism and Buddhism and more recently films like The Matrix and Inception. Some scientists reckon they can prove it scientifically. Must be true, scientists said it. In the future, it might become possible to simulate entire universes. But if this is an option, how can we know that it's not already happened? In researching for this video, I read a lot of scientific papers, and even though they're drier than stuffing five cream crackers in your mouth, I did it for you. There's been tons of tests done, I won't bore you with them, because it's literally impossible for me to tell you about them without boring you to tears. Big fat disclaimer alert. As of today's date, this is a hypothesis. You don't care about that, do you? Take the motherfucking red pill. This is my opinion. If you don't like it, or do you want to fight about it? I mean, they don't call it the simulation argument for nothing. This is a hypothesis, like evolution, or God, or Piers Morgan, or some other impossibly complicated part of life. So with that said, let's mother flipping get on with it. But here's the question. Where does this hypothesis come from? Well, it reached media attention initially when a guy called Nick Bostrom, who looks like a cross between the super brainy philosopher Alain Dubouton and a recent divorcee who only gets to see his kids once a month and is on the verge of bankruptcy. Look at these two. It's like the brainier you are, the more room your brain needs, so it pushes all your hair out. I don't have that problem. Apart from being cleverer than a brain pie, Nick spends most of his time being a professor at Oxford, but came to attention when he wrote his simulation theory in 2003, which was literally years ago. The paper, called The Simulation Argument, blew up faster than one of Elon Musk's SpaceX rockets. After the aforementioned Elon Musk, who the media rightly all get massive hard-ons for, started talking about it. Next thing you know, poor old Nick Bostrom gets wheeled out gets paraded around the Joe Rogan podcast, which is like getting to meet the queen of fucking podcasting or something. Nick looked pretty nervous, but when he saw a fellow baldy, they soon hit it off as all baldy boys do. I thought he'd never leave. Me neither. Oh, yeah. oh did you guys just do the thing? What then, if this is just a video game? We could just be living in a very advanced version of The Sims. The Sims 50. Which is probably why they all speak that funny language that we don't understand. It's the language of the future. Can you imagine a future not too far away where everything's been done? Every single person will be housed, fed, clothed, looked after. It's like a utopia. It will probably be very boring and very safe, and there'll be no danger whatsoever. But people need more than that. They need danger, excitement, thrills and chills. Otherwise, it's just like going to McDonald's and having a salad. Utterly pointless. So if you do live in this utopian world of the future, you would jack into the Matrix. You'd strap in and live a rip-roaring life in any part of our known history, knowing that you would eventually just wake up. 
No other film has done more than the green-tinged killer kung fu sci-fi fantasy flick The Matrix to bring the simulation argument to public attention. In The Matrix films, AI, artificial intelligence, is a big metallic squid-looking thing that's determined to wipe out humanity for some reason. The trilogy is actually as much a warning against the dangers of AI as it is about a simulated reality, where the AI has placed all human beings inside a simulated reality so they can use them all as batteries. The shit. The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world, built to keep us under control in order to change a human being into this. I mean, they obviously haven't discovered Duracell. Those things last all day. It also popularised the fact that what we call life could actually be boiled down to just lines of computer code. Some scientists, namely these nerdy science bods, have discovered when you break down atoms and other impossibly small things, like the collective intellect of the people on The Only Way is Essex, what you see is code, specifically binary code, which is code made of ones and zeros which is computer language. And it's harder to get your head around than Mandarin, which up until last week I thought was a fruit like an easy peel of orange. Listen to the virgin nerdy science bods explain it. And what I've come to understand is that there are these incredible pictures that contain all the information of a set of equations that are related to string theory. And it's even more bizarre than that because when you then try to understand these pictures, you find out that buried in them are computer codes just like the type that you find in a browser when you go surf the web. And so I'm left with the puzzle of trying to figure out whether I live in the matrix or not. Wait, you're blowing my mind at this moment. So you're saying, are you saying your attempt to understand the fundamental operations of nature leads you to a set of equations that are indistinguishable from the equations that drive search engines and browsers on yeah, our computers? That is correct. So you're saying as you dig deeper, you find computer code writ in the fabric of the cosmos. Into the equations that we want to use to describe the cosmos, yes. But we are now discovering that this reality may not be what we call real, but is in fact made up of computer code. This, this isn't real. What is real? How do you define real? If you're talking about what you can feel, what you can smell, what you can taste and see, then real is simply electrical signals interpreted by your brain. Another question the Matrix posed was, do we have free will or is our life predetermined? None of us like the idea that life may actually be predetermined, but our storyline has already been written. Do you believe in fate, Neil? No. Why not? Because I don't like the idea that I'm not in control of my life. It's like going to a restaurant and somebody ordering for you. Probably fucking soup or something. Even more evidence for this fact is that scientists have rather scarily discovered that your brain decides what you are going to do seconds before you do. Just as in Libet's original work, this experiment seems to show that my brain begins to prepare for movement long before I felt like I had consciously decided to move. Bit like this. 
run a brothel for ten years, and if there's one thing I know, it's when I'm being fucked with. This can't possibly. Would you like to have a week's holiday at our facility? £2,000, you can have an entire lifetime at any point in our known history. And you'd snap it up. Just imagine you could be anyone, fact or fiction. You could live the entire life of Walter White in Breaking Bad. You could be Sherlock Holmes, Piers Morgan. Maybe not. Hey, I'm as attached to my life as you are. I don't want to know any of this stuff. God, I even turned down Morpheus when he tried to wake me up. Do you want to know? what it is not really no um i don't know why i'm here to be honest your, your man just picked me up off the street i have no idea what's going on my name's not even neo it's jack this matrix thing sounds bloody interesting but the matrix is everywhere it is all around us even now in this very room you can see it when you look out your window or when you turn on your television you can feel it when you go to work, when you go to church, when you It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What are you doing? I thought you were going to punch me then. This is your last chance. You take the blue pill, the story ends, you wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. I'm just gonna say now, I really don't like swallowing pills. It's just when I was a kid, I swallowed one, it got stuck in my throat. And ever since then, I can't really uh, do pills. Um, it's just, if you've got like, maybe a liquid version of it, of the pill, or maybe like, I don't know, at a push, a suppository, what are you looking at me like that for? Now we come to the only man with full-on Asperger's to manage to reproduce and make babies. Lots of them. It's like he managed to hack into the Matrix himself, changed all his DNA and computer code, so he became the sexiest, well-liked man of all time. Mind you, shitload of money and fame helps. If Bill Gates or Mark Zuckerberg didn't have any money, what do you think they'd be? Muskie, who manages to turn every invention he has into the best thing since the see-through toaster, read Brainy Bostrom's paper and took it upon himself to talk about it. I think here's, in my mind, like the, the, the strongest argument for, the, for us being in a simulation, probably being in a simulation, I think is the following. Um, that that 40, call it 40, 40 years ago, we had Pong, like two rectangles and a dot. That right. was what games were. Um, now, 40 years later, we have photorealistic 3D simulations with millions of people playing simultaneously, and it's getting better every year. And soon we'll have virtu you know, virtual reality, we'll have augmented reality. Um, if you assume any rate of improvement at all, um, then the games will become indistinguishable from reality. Just in indistinguishable. Um, even if that rate of advancement drops by 1,000 from what it is right now, um, then you just say, okay, well, well let's imagine it's a 10,000 years in the future, uh, which is nothing in the evolutionary scale. Um, so, 
Um, so, so given that we're clearly on a trajectory to have games that are indistinguishable from reality, and those games could be played on any set-top box or on a PC or whatever, and there would probably be, you know, billions of such, uh, you know, computers or set-top boxes, it would seem to follow that the odds that we're in base reality is one in billions. So Tell me what's wrong with that argument. Is the answer yes? <laughs> the argument is probably. I mean, but I just like, is there is there a flaw in that argument? I mean, someone, but someone. I'm not that, sure what but, the error. Right, no, no, the argument makes sense. So the assumption then is that somebody beat us to it, and this is a game. No, no, there's a one in billions chance that this is base reality. Oh, okay. What do you think? Well, I think it's one in billions. Okay. One in a billion chance that this is not a simulation. One in a billion chance that this is not a simulation. One in a billion chance that this is not a simulation. One in a billion chance that this is not a simulation. This means that it is almost a mathematical certainty, as close as you can get, that this is actually a simulation. You might be saying, oh rubbish, I don't believe that. What a load of old tosh. Okay, Karen. I don't care what you believe. I'm just telling you what the odds are. You might be thinking, oh, he's not that brainy, he's still got hair. Ah, but he didn't used to. Money, you see. Underneath that head of manufactured hair is a brainy bald guy. Why should we listen to him? What has he done anyway except start an electric car company from scratch? Invented PayPal. Launching 5G satellites to bring the entire world online. Designed solar roof panels. Only a guy who launched the first private space rockets. It's making a massive tunnel underneath LA to solve the traffic problem. Of course, Karen from Hounslow doesn't think it's possible, everyone. So best we just forget about the simulation argument. If you don't believe Musky Boy, what about another media darling that they all self-flagellate over? He's another brainy guy, but like Musk, he has hair. So he's winning in all areas of life. And it's not just his head. Some of his hair took shelter under his nose. Perhaps it's a scientific experiment to see if he can filter out the bullshit better. So are we living in simulation? I find it hard to argue against that possibility. Why are we here? I don't know. Yes, thank you. There are things I don't know. Why do you go on a roller coaster? You know it's going to be scary. You do it for the thrill. I mean, I don't go on roller coasters because I hate them. But you do, don't you? What we call life is just a video game in an amusement park. Nothing sums up this theory better for me than a clip from Rick and Morty. Afternoon at Blips and Chips! Oh, this place is the best. It's got beer, games, prizes, and you can never tell what time it is. You sold a gun to a murderer so you could play video games? Yeah, sure. I mean, if you spend all day shuffling words around, you can make anything sound bad, Morty. Here, check this out. What's wrong? I had a nightmare. I was with an old man. He put a helmet on me. It's just a fever. Get some sleep. I don't want you missing school on Monday. I want you kids to look around you today and think about your future. Now is the time in your life when anything is possible. Spiraling perfectly. It's going to be caught by Roy Parsons. Roy Parsons is at the 20. Now he's at the 10. Nothing can stop Roy the Rocket. Touchdown! I just think it's time to get realistic. Have you talked to my father about the carpet store? Roy? <sighs> Had we caught it sooner, 
Well, hindsight is twenty-twenty, Roy. What's important is that we move quickly. I'm not ready to die. You're not going to. Hey, thanks for the carpet, Roy. Hey, Roy, you pull those Persian off-white shags for the clearance sale? Whoa! Shoot! Shoot! Oh! Oh, what the hell? Whoa! Whoa! Where am I? Fifty-five what the years. Hell? Not bad, Morty. You, you kind of wasted your thirties though with that whole bird-watching phase. Where, where's my wife? Morty, you were just playing a game. It's called Roy. Snap out of it. Come on. I'm Morty. You're Rick. Hey, you sold a gun to a guy that kills people. Look at this. You beat cancer and then you went back to work at the carpet store. Boo! D- don't dodge the issue, Rick. Selling a gun to a hitman is the same as pulling the trigger. It's also the same as doing nothing. If Crumbopulous Michael wants someone dead, there's not a lot anyone can do to stop him. That's why he does it for a living. Now, excuse me. It's time to thrash your Roy score. You know, you could stop this killing from happening, Rick. You know, you, you did a bad thing selling that gun, but you could undo it if you wanted. Uh huh. Yeah, that's the difference between you and me, Morty. I never go back to the carpet store. Holy shit! This guy's taking Roy off the grid! This guy doesn't have a social security number for Roy! This very nicely sums up the fact that life is just a bloody ride. The world is like a ride at an amusement park. And when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. And the ride goes up and down and round and round. It has thrills and chills, and it's very brightly colored, and it's very loud. And it's fun for a while. Some people have been on the ride for a long time, and they begin to question, is this real or is this just a ride? And other people have remembered, and they come back to us and they say, hey, don't worry, don't be afraid, ever, because this is just a ride. This has to be real. It's just a ride. But we always kill those good guys who try and tell us that. You ever notice that? And let the demons run amok? But it doesn't matter, because it's just a ride. So... Don't worry about a thing. Just sit back, crack open a few beers, relax, and watch the show, and enjoy the fucking thing. If you think this is real life, if you think this is real life, do we live in the Matrix? Is all of reality some kind of computer simulation? There's an awful lot of conspiracy theorists who would have you believe so, but are they absolute lunatics, or might they actually be onto something? Before seeing these clips, I would have told you that the world is real. And the people who insist reality is fake just need a nap and a snack. I don't know. Some of these clips may have converted me. These are 11 glitches in the Matrix caught on camera. Before we begin, make sure to hit the like button, subscribe to our channel, and click the notification bell for more amazing videos every day. With that being said, let's begin. (sighs) Number 11. Car Vanishes. The theory of simulation reality is a hypothesis that states that life as we know it is not quite as it seems. The idea is that we all exist within a computer program, a fake reality, observed by other divine beings. The idea is one that has been kicked around in its present form for decades in all sorts of science fiction, ranging from comics to novels to films. But the idea stretches back even farther than that. The earliest known suggestion of similar theories goes way, way back to the 4th century, when Chinese philosopher Zhuang Zhou hypothesized that reality as we knew it could merely be the dream of a butterfly. There are many variations on this rough idea, and the Matrix is just one of those variations. Some state that all the world's a video game, watched by all-seeing aliens. 
Some state the simulation is a recreation of past events, being observed by our future descendants, like the series finale of Star Trek Enterprise. If that's the case, this program would surely have glitches, and in this clip it looks like exactly that is happening. As you can see in this news footage, a high-speed car chase is underway. It's hair-raising stuff, high-stakes stuff. A criminal was desperate to race away from the police. His car is bolting down the highway at breakneck speeds. Will he get away? These are exciting scenes, but not exactly abnormal. It's what happens next that will have you doubting your entire concept of reality. Just in the nick of time, his car appears to mysteriously vanish in a puff of black smoke. It's as if Thanos clicked his fingers in the car and its driver turned into dust in an instant. It's any criminal's dream to be able to teleport away from the scene of the crime in a mere instant. But if the world truly is the Matrix, it seems much more likely one of the coders simply forgot to finish coding the car that day. If not, maybe Zhuangzhou's butterfly simply stopped dreaming about the car and moved on to other fantasies instead. In whatever version of simulation theory that may be true, something went wrong that day. Now it's time for the rare topic. We have all heard the phrase mob mentality. Sometimes people will do something just because everyone else is. Kind of like how people would join ration queues in wartime Britain with no idea of what they were queuing for. This odd late night CCTV seems to show an odd version of that sort of thought process, but affecting dogs. One dog, for no known reasons, randomly started attacking a car without any provocation. Shortly after, a ton of dogs came out of nowhere and all joined in. So, what's going on here? Is there a tasty treat hidden in the bumper? Possibly. While more logical theories put forward lean, toward it just being some kind of strange dog mob mentality. Others have suggested it is a glitch in the Matrix. They have said that the dogs were attacking the car because there was a fault in the programming of our universe and the dogs mistook the car for something else. Adding to this theory is that come the morning, the car had mysteriously vanished, almost as if the universe's programmers deleted the car upon realizing it was problematic. What do you think? As always, comment down below with the hashtag rare topic and we will pin the comment that best explains what is being shown in this footage. With that said, let's keep things moving. Number 10. Another car disappears. But it's not the only time a crack in the fabric of our supposed fake reality, whether it be a video game played by aliens, or the fan fiction of a madman in another dimension, has resulted in a car mysteriously vanishing without a trace. Far from it. In fact, vanishing car seems to be one of the more frequent glitches the ever-cracking Matrix chucks up. In this clip, a car is driving down a snowy road, it's pretty extreme weather, nice and Christmassy, but otherwise nothing out of the ordinary here. But these glitches seem to come when we least expect them. Slowly but surely the car appears to fade away. Slowly but surely it is consumed by the snowflakes and vanishes into thin air, gone without a trace. It's different to the previous glitch. This time, instead of vanishing in a millisecond, the car slowly phases out, almost as if each line of code is being erased one by one. But it's not just things disappearing that constitutes a glitch. As any game developer can tell you, you never know just how your code might go wrong that day. Sometimes glitches manifest in the form of things acting out of the ordinary. For example, this next clip. Number 9. Bouncing Manhole Cover Have you ever lifted a manhole cover? Those things are heavier than emo poetry. Even Game of Thrones The Mountain would struggle. You need to be able to bench a whole bunch to get one of these things to shift. So how on earth is this one bouncing around so madly, so freely, as if it's as light as a feather? In this bizarre footage, the manhole cover appears to be bouncing and dancing and freely leaping around like a toddler who's down six pints of sugar. There's an argument to be had that it's just pressurized air pushing against the manhole cover, making it bounce around. 
but that would have to be some seriously pressurized air to push something that heavy up and down. More pressure than a kid in the midst of their SATs. That's how much pressure we're talking. It's so lively, so free. It's almost as if the manhole cover has the mind of a puppy. Number 8. Helicopter with unmoving blades. We all know how a helicopter works. It's quite simple, really. The blades spin, carrying the chopper up and away. Now, imagine if you saw a helicopter where the blades weren't spinning but it was still flying. Weird, right? Like someone running a marathon without taking a step. Well, that's exactly what seems to be happening in this clip. Sometimes a helicopter's blades can spin so fast that it's invisible to the naked eye. To our human vision, it looks like the blades are stationary. But even in those situations, there's visible blurring between the blades. But if you look closely, you can see no blurring. The blades are completely still. It looks like it's a low-budget animated movie and the animator forgot to animate the blades spinning. The helicopter rising up into the air, with no clear sign that the blades are moving, looks exactly like something you'd see in the beta build of an indie game. The assets are done, but the animation isn't complete yet. Number 7. Twins. Every piece of software has errors, especially one that's constantly running. It's only natural. Even machines get tired. That's why 3PO takes a nap in A New Hope. All computer programs have glitches. We've all played a video game only for an NPC to get his head stuck in a wall. If the reality we know is actually a Matrix-like simulation, wouldn't these glitches take all sorts of form? Some more subtle than the more outlandishly peculiar things we've explored in this video so far? Well, our next example fits that idea perfectly. We're going to treat you now and give you several examples for the price of one, because that's what the glitching Matrix has done. It's given us several copies of the same thing for the price of one. One of the most commonly reported glitches is something or someone being unexpectedly duplicated. As you can see in this photo, there appears to be two versions of the same guy on this bus. Now, before we dive headfirst into conspiracy theories, there's a lot of potential explanations. Or maybe they're just twins who decided to match hoodies for a laugh. It could even be our old friend Photoshop. Or maybe the Matrix is glitching. Maybe an NPC was accidentally replicated. If that is the case, it's not the only time it's happened. In this next photo, two dining couples who apparently don't know each other are wearing identical outfits. Did the Matrix accidentally use the same character mold twice? Did some of the code get duplicated in error? It certainly seems that way, because it happened again in this next photo. Not one, not two, but three versions of the same woman on this bus. Maybe the advanced being who's in charge of programming buses for the Matrix is lazier than his colleagues, because he seems to make this mistake a lot. But then again, glitches like this aren't just limited to people on buses. In this third photo, you can see an example of the Matrix copying and pasting the exact same bench right next to the original. Sure, maybe it was designed like this on purpose, but seriously? What parks and rec department would approve a bench where your only view is the back of the neck of another person? Either this is a serious glitch or Leslie Nope is about to get fired. Even the little trash can next to the bin is repeated. If we could zoom in close enough, we bet that every scratch is duplicated. Every dent. If the Matrix is going to randomly copy and paste stuff, why can't it copy and paste all the money in my bank account? Why does it have to be something as useless as a bench? Number 6. Daniel Radcliffe's face. In the last few examples, we saw a couple things get repeated. Faces, benches, t-shirts. But when they were duplicated, they always appeared next to the original, like some kind of bad copy and paste job. This glitch takes that idea to the next level. This glitch sees something get repeated in truly unexpected places. And when we say something, 
What we mean is, Harry Potter's face. In older video games, especially the PS1 and N64 era, you would encounter a lot of NPCs with the same face. Technology was limited, so developers would often use the same model over and over. In real life, that's a little bit similar to how two people, who are not related, can look so similar. Lots of us have met someone new and been like, whoa, isn't that my face? But none more so than Harry Potter actor Daniel Radcliffe. It seems the Matrix has glitched hard and used his face on different models countless times through history. As discussed on two separate chat shows, Jimmy Fallon in America and Graham Norton in the UK, Daniel Radcliffe keeps discovering photographs of people from the distant past who have the exact same face as him. Is the Matrix repeating the same face over and over in error? Does somebody else have your face? Will somebody in the future have your face? Did someone in the past have your face? What if it's not your face? What if you're the glitch? It doesn't bear thinking about it. And whilst Jimmy Fallon is up on screen, his laugh has to be a glitch, right? There's no way that's natural. Number 5. Matching Legs and don't you worry, to keep things as in line with the original Matrix trilogy as possible, we're gonna make this second installment significantly worse than our first video. You can even expect an even worse third video about Matrix glitches in the future, as in a criminally underrated animated series about glitches. Now, most of you know the gist, but for those of you who don't, here's a speedy rundown. The theory of simulation reality is a hypothesis that states that life as we know it is not quite as it seems. The idea is that we all exist within a computer program, a fake reality observed by other divine beings. The idea is one that's been kicked around in its present form for decades in all sorts of science fiction, ranging from comics to novels to films. But the idea stretches back even further than that. The earliest known suggestion of similar theories goes way, way back to the 4th century when Chinese philosopher Shuang Zhu hypothesized that reality as we knew it could merely be the dream of a butterfly. There are many variations on this rough idea, and the Matrix is just one of the variations. Some state that all the world's a video game, watched by all seeing aliens. Some state the simulation is a recreation of past events, being observed by our future descendants like the series finale of Star Trek Enterprise. But if all the world's a computer simulation, it must glitch, right? Things must go wrong. Stuff might repeat, stuff might repeat, stuff might repeat, stuff might repeat. Or maybe things turn up in unexpected places, like a high-pitched scream in the middle of a YouTube video about Matrix glitches. Yeah, brace yourself, because that's coming before the video ends. Do these glitches possibly prove that we are truly in the Matrix? Quite possibly. So let's look at five examples. Starting with, starting with, starting with, starting with an intriguing example of odd repetition. These two complete strangers stood next to each other utterly randomly, yet both seem to have the exact same legs. It's not just the color and design of the pants, though that certainly helps, but everything about their legs seems to sync up. If you were to only look at the bottom half of this photo, you'd probably think that there had just been a computer error and each half of the photo was identical. And yet, the top half of each woman is individual. You know what it looks like? It looks a bit like when a couple of NPCs in a video game look a little too similar and it breaks you out of the experience. It's not impossible that two strangers would wear the same clothes like that. I'm wearing the same underpants as you right now. I know because I watched you get dressed. But it does seem unlikely. What do you think? Is this just the pants-based coincidence of the century, or have we got a very real case of a glitch in the Matrix here? Number 4. The Man Vanishes 
Here's a curious little treat for you. This CCTV camera in Henderson, Kentucky seems to have captured the moment a transparent man disappeared into thin air. Don't say we here at The Finest don't treat you to some weird stuff. The clip was originally posted to a YouTube channel called underscore Fluffy Queen 88 Carter, who claims that this mysterious character has been seen walking in the front yard a number of times. To be honest, with a history like that, she's probably happy he disappeared. In the footage, you can see a partly translucent person walking along the street in front of two vehicles. The fact that he's not fully formed and seems to be a little bit see-through is already very odd. Most people who saw this clip came to the conclusion that the guy was probably a ghost of some sort. But we feel that this is not a ghost. We feel that this is a regular man who's glitching out of existence. And why? Watching him as he walks, he has a very purposeful gait. He knows what he's doing. There's a sheepishness to most ghosts, a sense of discontent. But this is a man who knows what he's doing and is behaving as if everything is normal. That's why we think this is no ghost. This is why we think this is a man who has no idea he's about to make like my father and disappear. And disappear is what he does. He takes several steps before his translucency upgrades to transparency and he vanishes altogether. The clip was taken out in front of the home of local residents Pamela and Rick Carter. They claim to have seen the ghostly figure a number of times stating it was marching like Caesar down the pavement. He was gone and I can't explain it. Some viewers think the footage is nothing more than artifacts showing up in a malfunctioning home security system. Others, however, think that the footage coupled with the witness's testimony makes for a compelling argument that this street is indeed haunted. But we stand by our argument. This is a guy who was glitched out of the simulation. And that's terrifying. Who will vanish next? You? Me? If I vanish, who will fill in for the rest of this video? My Scottish cousin Conan? Number three. Giant Gold do this giant goldfish. If there's one thing I know, it's that shortbread, urn, brew, and scotch are amazing. But if there's two things I know, the second would be that goldfish are not supposed to be that big. Things that are bigger than they're supposed to be turn up on a regular basis. We once did a whole video about oddly large dogs and basketball players are way too tall. Most people think nothing of it. They just think, oh, that snake is bigger than an average snake and move on. But lots of people who believe in simulation theory think that things being the wrong shape and size is an example of the simulation glitching. The goldfish is a rather extreme example. No goldfish should be that big, it's absolute lunacy. Yet here it is, existing. Sometimes things being the wrong size can be credited to trick photography. Check out this photo of a dog. The dog looks colossal, right? This dog should be hanging out with the likes of Goliath. Well, no. Comedy writer turned internet pest Graham Linehan wrote a scene in the classic sitcom Father Ted in which one of the characters was confused about the difference between something that was far away and something that was small. These cows are small, but the ones out there are far away. This dog is the reverse of that. This dog is really very close to the screen, whereas the humans are far away. It's clever trick photography. So you might think the goldfish is a similar scenario. It's an interesting theory, but not one that holds water. See, the guy in the photo is literally cradling the goldfish in his arms. So even if trick photography was at play, the human and goldfish are in scale with one another. Something has gone wrong in the Matrix. Either that fish is massive, or that man is tiny. Number two. Two, a literally uplifting speech. 
Now, I've heard of an uplifting speech. Hannah Gadsby's Netflix show Nanette is a remarkable tour de force. There are many excellent TED Talks. And if I may say so, the best man speech I recently gave at a friend's wedding only caused 17 people to walk out. All successful and powerful uses of the spoken word. Yet, I've never seen a speech quite as uplifting as this one, because this one is literally uplifting. And I use the word literally, literally. In the middle of giving a speech, this woman seems to be hovering. The ground beneath her is all but vanished. She is curiously suspended in the air. Are her words really so powerful that they have raised her up? No, it seems far more likely that this is the simulation glitching out. Weird, right? Number one, goats up a tree. Birds are supposed to be in trees. Goats are supposed to be on the ground, maybe up a mountain. If maybe one goat climbed a tree, we could believe it was just one ambitious goat reaching for the stars. But the sheer numbers of goat up in this tree is mad. It's like they're growing out of the tree. There are a billion and one explanations for what could be happening here. For example, maybe the goats are playing a game of the floor is lava. But the way we see it, there's a much more reasonable explanation. The Matrix has glitched and has put goats somewhere they're not supposed to be. Like pineapple appears on a pizza or a high-pitched scream appearing in a YouTube list video. Did I convince any of you I would actually do it? Don't worry, I'm not gonna do it. Please subscribe to the Detour Podcast Network on iTunes and don't forget to rate and review while you're there. You can also download the Stitcher and Podbean app to your device for free and search Detour Podcast Network and subscribe. If you enjoy listening to the shows on the Detour Podcast Network, spread the word to everyone you know. Your word of mouth is our best advertising method and we appreciate your support. Thanks for listening.
Hey, we're going to find Deadpool boxers. Amazon. We're going to find edible Rosie O'Donnell underwear. Amazon. We're going to get an industrial-sized tubal lube. Amazon. Go to d2rpn.com and click the Amazon banner. I'm rubbing it. So there I am in my car, listening to shitty music. And I ask myself the tough questions. Why am I listening to the same song over and over again, when I could be listening to the D2R Podcast Network? And is it true that he who smelt it dealt? And why the fuck did the chicken cross the road? And what the hell is on Joey's head? I wonder if Yoko Ono saw yesterday, today. I wonder if tomorrow was yesterday. Rockford reference. The D2R Podcast Network. Live for today. Or yesterday.